What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Gus uh, Katsaros. Did I get that one right? That's right. You got it. Excellent. I'm usually wrong on that, so I'm, I'm fist bumping over here. Um, I mean, you're, you're, you're a little bit of a legend, um, especially for the current generation that knows their history on kind of how the analytics spheres come together, some of this public um, – work and talent evaluation. So really excited to have you on. Um, maybe just get us started here. 30 second history. Uh, I, I know what we've talked about already. Uh, I've got a lot of questions that we are going to knock out. Cool. Well, let me just say thank you very much for the invitation. It's it's an honor to be um, included in the, the gamut of guests that you've had on this podcast. And it's just a great, great group of guests. Um, so I'm honored to be here. Um, I've been part of the hockey community since about 2006. Um, I started off just as a fantasy writer with McKean's Hockey. Um, I didn't really follow fantasy as much as I really wanted to. I really wanted to get a little bit deeper into the game. So um, being with a group of scouts that that really took uh, the craft uh, to heart uh, gave me the opportunity to learn um, and to expand my knowledge from them. Um, but at the same time, I just happened to catch that ups, the, uh, the uptick, uh, the ascension of how analytics changed the game. Um, so being a bit of a techie and being a lover of hockey, it was nice to be able to kind of meld both items together and try to develop a viewpoint that may not necessarily have been prevalent at the time. Um, I'm not really a proponent of one over the other. I think that there's a distinct mix um, that you could use both um, in a symbiotic way rather than uh, one over the other. Uh, There are advantages to both, and it kind of depends on what you're actually trying to evaluate. So um, from McKean's, I started off as a pro uh, scouting coordinator, uh, which means that I dealt with a lot of the drafted prospects um, and pro players from leagues across the world. Um, just developed their progress into the professional leagues. Um, and then I was capable, or at least capable, I was able um, to use a lot of numbers to be able to track players as they rank through their pro, uh, pro seasons, um, specifically through the NHL. Um, having a bit of a tech background, too, gave me the ability to kind of extract data that wasn't necessarily available publicly. So it gave me the opportunity to kind of play around and fiddle with today's um, what has evolved in today's analytics, um, but at the same time, really maintaining a good scouting route uh, to be able to understand just how numbers and, and I hate the word or the phrase, the eye test, because I just don't feel that it's a, a positive statement, um, but being able to watch something and being able to apply concepts 
to your viewings um, really, I think, accelerated some of the ways that, that, that I was able to kind of progress um, with my own skills. Um, and even sometimes uh, you could be sitting in an arena and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what, what am I even doing here? And you question yourself. But in the end, you understand that there's certain things that you're always going to have to learn and relearn and readapt. Um, so I kind of got lucky being able to get input from both sides uh, and being able to kind of develop my own skill set that way. Yeah. And you were early into the analytics. Um, I'm, I'm curious. And the way I see this is kind of like computers. Like at first, everyone's scared about computers taking their jobs. And we've all come to realize that computers just make us better at our jobs. And I think the same thing is with analytics, um, with the guys that are doing the eye test per se, or the people that are doing the eye test and now looking at analytics and understanding maybe it hones my eye because I know where to look. And really I'm looking to, at the numbers to understand what's happening and I can use actual video, mesh that together, understand why or how it's actually happening, which I think is the, the key point. Um, I'm guessing you probably are, are very similar and agreeing with that, but I'm curious maybe at the start of you know, why or what attracted you to the analytics and then how have you kept up with it? I mean, it's amazing where we've started. There was so little like input data. Now we've got a ton of data. Uh, we've got Corey, Mika, the list is starting to get pretty big of ability to get data, but how do we extract that? And maybe what used to be very easy, low hanging fruit, it's a little bit tougher to get now um, and staying on top of it's not the easiest because a lot of the forefathers have gone to work for clubs. So I think as I was getting deeper into hockey in general, um, the overwhelming assessment was that analytics was going to be able to replace either scouts, scouting, um, the ability to evaluate players. They didn't need any more people watching games anymore because you had these numbers that were doing that. And that's kind of not how I approached analytics. Um, to me, what I felt was there were stories, there were little narratives being developed as analytics grew in, in stature and, and, um, and breadth and, and as people were starting to really ingest um, what Corsi was in Fenwick and, and all shot attempts and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get into too much detail here. Um, but for me, I felt that the word possession kept coming up. It's about possession. It's about possession. So what exactly was possession? There was a concept that wasn't really formulated at the time. And I think that that's kind of where I tried to fit myself into that. So instead of dealing specifically with shot attempts in Corsi and saying that Corsi is better than this, um, or I can tell you more about a player because of his statistics rather than his, uh, what he's doing on the ice. I felt that it was more important to understand that as players and the game was progressing to this quote unquote possession game, um, what was that going to do to the type of players that were actually coming into the game? Um, I feel that the best example here is the death of the defensive defenseman. You kind of knew when the numbers were starting to come in that players that were able to hold on to the puck, holding on to the puck necessarily mean I keep possession of it. It means keeping control of it between a player, group of players, um, or progressively moving it up the ice in a transition. Um, that was more important than learning the individual characteristics of shot attempts in Corsi and, and, and PDO and, and shooting percentage. Um, and I feel that there were two big 
obstacles here. From the fans' perspective, they just didn't have enough of a, a, a background in hockey, and myself included at the beginning. I read some of my old scouting reports and just absolutely cringe now. Um, but at the same time, too, the numbers folks were just overvaluing what type of perspective that they were getting from these numbers. It wasn't a matter of using one over the other. It was a matter of melding them both. Um, and I felt that um, as more people were starting to integrate data analysis into their evaluations, I felt that you needed to take that and just understand that you're, you're, you're dealing with a lot more players, but a very smaller um, window of evaluation taking to the ice and watching a player, you're trying to understand what exactly attributes their, what their skills attribute to the possession game and how that is going to affect them moving forward. Um, so things like, and I'm going to go back to the defensive defenseman, slower players, you can identify those slower players and understand that they weren't going to last very long in this next iteration of the game. Um, the analytics we say analytics, but at the time they were really just statistics. Um, they were able to give you a better understanding of how a game went across a wider group of players rather than strictly evaluating one particular player for their specific input. So to me, it was kind of going back to the four S's of scouting, um, understanding that you need to be able to, uh, to skate, speed, smarts, um, and I forget the other S, it's just one of those days. Um, but how are you adapting the new data analysis into those particular concepts? It's not like it was a game of EA sports where skating is a 96 and passing is an 80 and, and offensive awareness is an 85. It's the integration of those skills that were very important into leading into the grand picture of what a possession game was. So it was trying to understand. And, and, and that's where I think I really had a big advantage because being able to understand the analytical concepts made my viewings that much more intense because I was able to, to understand where the game was going and how each skill attributed to the next skill. It's something that you guys do now and skills development coaches are really, really at the forefront right now um, by being able to integrate all of those concepts into today's game. Back in 2006, 2007, leading up until like 2010 maybe, um, that was the infancy of analytics and it was just trying to establish what you were trying to evaluate and how that data analysis and how important it was um, to augment what you felt a player was bringing based on where the game was going, that possession game, that fast skating game. Um, um, there isn't a lot of room for mistakes. You can't have a plodding defender anymore. You can't have a plodding skater. Um, and over the years, I felt that even though I had a specific view of a particular player, that's changed dramatically. It's changed because of better analysts than myself doing data work. Um, it's also helped that I was able to talk to different scouts and different coaches and different skill development coaches and ask them, um, you know, this is the concept that I'm kind of working for. This is the basis of my concept based on some type of data analysis. How does that apply to real world on ice um, evaluation? Um, it, it was a tricky beginning, um, and I felt that I sometimes I, I overreached my own um, abilities just because I felt that I thought that I was uh, ahead of the game. Um, hockey has a way of humbling you at times, um, but at the same time, too, it made me into a much more um, 
aware scout. Um, I don't really like using the word scout because I think an analyst is, is, is more appropriate here. Scouts are specific to teams. Um, but it really gave me the ability to, to, to evaluate talent on a more wider depth um, and understand where they fit in currently and whether or not they were actually progressing into what the future of the game was bringing out. That's a long-winded answer. Yeah, and weren't you a director of analytics? So for a little while uh, with the Owen Sound Attack, uh, I was the director of analytics there. Again, that was kind of one of the things that I was able to talk to coaches um, and talk to their scouts and talk to the personnel there and tell them that we're not just talking strictly numbers. What we're talking here is about the concepts that these numbers refer to and how we can help you guys do your jobs better evaluating your players and evaluating your systems and evaluating um, the connection between your players and your system. So there was three distinct um, areas that we were trying to focus on. Um, Owen Sound, because of budgets and, and COVID and all of that, um, I'm, not, I'm no longer working with them, but we'll see whether or not I go back into the OHL. Um, COVID's kind of changed things dramatically, so I'm just trying to let this whole period play out and we'll kind of see where it goes from there but that's where the major um the crux of of, of what i was trying to accomplish with Owen sound is trying to get uh the coaches to buy into there's more than just watching video and and doing things over and over and over there are other elements that you could attribute your success and failures to and it can make your life that much easier instead of spending 10 hours doing video you're doing half of that because you now have augmented a lot of that stuff with data. Yeah, data saves a lot of time. Um, I believe you know that from, from your day-to-day -day job. Um, but I'm curious for the thing that's coming through all of this is it's coming about around to talent evaluation and how do we do it better and how do we get the right players on the bus? I'm curious, um, and this one comes directly from Will Scouch. Uh, I also had it listed, but I'm going to give a shout out to Will on this one. Um, he was curious on how has your eye for the game and eye for talent evolved through time? So obviously you've learned a lot from many different facets, many different people. So it's always curious to see, you know, where you're going. So I was lucky to have two aha moments. Um, the first aha moment was understanding that when you're evaluating a player, you're looking for the positives, not the negatives. Um, if you focus on the negatives, you're never going to be able to get a very good assessment of a player. So you focus on those positive attributes and kind of going back to what I was saying before, initially I would evaluate skills individually, their skating ability, their shooting ability, their passing ability. And that's not really the case. And I like using Alex Ovechkin as the example here. Alex Ovechkin has an elite shot. He's got all these other skills, but those skills are essentially there to supplement that elite shot. He'll go into the corner, be physical, and come out with the puck. Why? Because he wants to take that shot. He will try to get himself into position, so now the skating ability is, is, comes into play, to be able to use his shot. He had to get faster than what he was when he first entered the league because that gave him an edge to use his shot. We talk about his spot on the ice and everybody knows where Ovi's spot is. And it's been years and years and years and nobody can, can, but that's because coaches have now understood this is his best attribute. So what we'll do is start developing little um, schemes and situations um, 
to be able to exploit that talent. Um, so they, instead of using a strict one, three, one, they would overload at some point in time, draw some uh, attention to the one side of the ice uh, where the puck all of a sudden gets back to Ovechkin, bango, bango, it's in the net. So the aha moment was understanding that you got to focus on the positives. Um, and then the second aha moment was it's not about individual skill assessment. Um, it's about how those skills integrate into each other um, and how a player really uses their elite level skills and how those other skills supplement that elite level skill. Uh, you could talk about, like, I, I think the, the fastest player I've ever seen was Enver Leeson. He was an Arizona Coyotes prospect. And this guy could just blaze up and down the ice. But he played too fast for his own good. He was Antoine Vermette. His hands just could never connect with his feet. So the individual skills were good, but when you put them together in the package, they weren't as as successful as you expected them to be. So that integration of skills was was probably my biggest um, revelation as to how good you can be as a talent evaluator when you start to understand that it's not just about one particular skill, it's how all of those other skills supplement that one elite talent. Every NHLer has one elite skill, potentially two, potentially more, but they have at least one. What do they do to really market and make that skill their base so that they can have constant success from career, from a rookie all the way to the time when they hang up their skates. So I felt that the four S's of, of scouting were important, but those four S's had a lot of subgroups that kind of intertangled between each other. That was the important part of being a better talent evaluator, understanding just how those little skills weaved into each other. So I've got two follow-up questions. First off, were, were you the person who came up with the four S's of scouting? So I take credit for that, but that's technically not me. Ian Morrell, who was the founder of McKean's, he was the one that brought the four S's to my attention. I just marketed it a little bit better. So the, the marketers is usually is. win. Let's, let's be honest. Marketers always seem to win. You can have the greatest, greatest stuff ever, but if you can't market well, uh, it doesn't get out that far. <laughs> Okay. And everybody understands, everybody understands that like from whether you're a fan or, or deep rooted hockey guy, you know, that those four S's really mean what they really mean to a player. It's just a matter of whether you're a fan and you don't really care about skills integration or you're a deep rooted hockey guy that that's working with the team and understands that, um, you know, they are all partly integrated. It's just a matter of how that happens. I wasn't planning to get into specifics here, but I, I think this is a perfect time to bring in uh, Kent Johnson to the conversation because I, I think everyone knew that he was probably the most talented player in the last draft. But the question became was, can he take all of these amazing pieces and actually piece the puzzle together? Uh, I'm curious if you saw it the same way. because I, I was thinking that, hey, this guy's probably number one if he puts it all together, but he's got to put it all together. So the, the matter of putting it all together has to really fall on his agent, has to fall on any skills development coaches that he's working with. Um, and you should see a progression. The, the knock that I'll put on Johnson is just, I haven't seen that progression game to game. I and mean, it's not like I follow him game to game, but 
from the viewings, each viewing should show you some type of a progression. And we just haven't seen that skills integration. So you're right. There's a bunch of individual skills that could probably be 90s in EA Sports. But that means nothing if they can't put all of those together um, and come up with a complete player. Now, part of that, I think, sometimes, see, I think when you're in a developmental league, um, the focus is so much on getting drafted and, and being progressively better and better um, that we tend to just give these kids the benefit of the doubt that they understand what development is. I think that they just go out and try to play, try to make the best of whatever God's given them, and they try to develop all those other skills. Um, but when you do put together a formulated plan um, and Back when I first started, there wasn't a lot of skills coaches that were working with players, especially not prospects. Now you see that in abundance. There wasn't a formulated plan. Players were just going in, using their best skills, getting drafted, and hope that they can kind of make a good professional career out of it. Now you you see a player like Johnson where you're able to kind of sit him down and say, in order for you to be successful, you need to do this and this and this better. You need to integrate this and this and this better. So my hopes for the young man is that he was able to get some help, put together a plan to make him more successful and to, at some point in time, integrate those skills. That may not happen until he got drafted. Um, it may happen just before he got drafted. Um, a good agent, parent, and skills coach together could really identify some weaknesses and really exploit um, those elite skills. So I, I think it's important for each player to understand where their skills are and how that they can make them better. And now is the opportunity, I think, that that wasn't there 10 years ago, where you do have much better coaches and 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 assistants that don't necessarily have to be coaches but um skills assistants that are able to give players that that ability to kind of elevate their entire skill set entirely um i'm just not convinced that that's kind of happening with johnson um but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that there's still a lot of developmental time there well this is the perfect time to say uh to anyone who's listening from the Blue Jackets organization that I am currently available in the Columbus region and can do on ice, but also I've been working with a nice little stable of players virtually. So we can make this happen on ice, virtually, whatever you need. I'm here for seeing Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger, um, and Carson Kuhlemans, uh, go to the moon with their talents. Um, and I think they did a really nice job with us. Uh, Slowsville. I'm totally mispronouncing that. And they got another gentleman who's on, on Slovakia, like, oh, Ms. Echo, something like that. Either way, this is, this is what I do in my, my, in my free time. And I'm happy to go down and just get, get with it here. I mean, Ken Johnson, unbelievable talent. And, and you've seen what it's like when it does go right. I mean, guys that get drafted into Toronto or even just join free agency, like the resources you put into them and how much value you get back, whether that could be a third round draft pick or they're doing better than their contract is like, whatever it is, like, it's such a valuable thing of like, not just having the skills, but applying them properly and integrating them together. And I think that that takes both input from outside sources and the ability for the player to be able to kind of soak that up and bring that out of their skill set. Um, th there's a lot, a lot more resources available. I mean, hockey arsenal, puts out something almost on the daily that a player can learn from. 
um, and you start putting that into your plan and, and you focus on those type of elements um, that sometimes go above and beyond just individual talent assessment. For instance, um, I've always been a bigger proponent of systems, right? Part of the analytics um, ascension was the fact that I felt that my evaluation of players um, was becoming a bit stagnant because you keep seeing the same thing over and over in players and you see their pluses and you see their flaws, but how do they actually fit into what a coach is trying to do? And then that brings up other questions. Is the player actually not performing well or is the coach put them into a situation where they just simply cannot use the best of their best um, and bring out the best of their talents? So understanding systems was much more important to me than the integration of analytics within the game um, versus the eye test or whatever you want to call that. I think that in the end, players play, they have the ability to elevate their own game. But if they're put in a into a situation where they're consistently hitting the wall, then those skills, as good as they are, they will never ever come out to be the positives that they are. And sometimes what we see is a player gets traded from one team to another and excels because that player is put into a position that they're able to use their skills on a more positive basis. And they're able to elevate their overall skill set because they're given the freedom to be able to do that. So coaching matters. And systems, I think, is kind of is is very basic. Everybody kind of uses a similar type of system in the NHL. Structure is more important than systems. And once players on their development years start to understand where they fit into a coach's structure, um, that I think helps them a lot more than just focusing on their individual skills assessments. So th there's, there's so many things coming at a player at, at, at any particular point in their development careers, um, especially um, especially now with more blogs, more people like yourself, more people, um, more skills development coaches that are putting things out there that they can kind of ingest and try to make themselves better. Um, but it's important to build your own skill set, to understand what those skills do within a specific structure that is allotted by a coach, and just how could they make themselves better in a bad situation. Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel is the greatest example here. Phil Kessel can burn it down the wing, great shot, but he did nothing else well. So within a particular system or a structure, he gets criticized. But when you look at it from the perspective of what he was able to accomplish above and beyond the limitations of that system, it was pretty exceptional. So I can understand why Kessel became such a fan favorite um, and why he still continues to be one of those players that you wouldn't have expected him to have such a long career, but we're still talking about Phil Kessel and he may not be the scorer that he was, but still able to play within the NHL. So there, there's a, a whole bunch to untackle, um, to untackle there. Um, but I think that this is kind of what you have to do as far as player evaluation is concerned. It's above and beyond just their individual skills and the meshing of the skills. Now you have to add in the component of where do they fit into systems and structure. It uh, reminds me, and we'll go on the flip side of this since, you know, I coach. You go to war with the army you have, not the one you wish you had. Uh, you got to make the most of the talents and the strengths and put people in positions to succeed. So I, I would say that uh, that's probably why Sullivan in, in Pittsburgh's had such success. He, he understands that concept really well. Um, and, and that dovetails to the next spot I want to go in. And it's really like, we're trying to develop skills 
in our players and we want to have specific skills or if you're a player, you want to develop certain skills, but it's not just the certainty of that skill, but how does it translate? How does it transfer, you know, transferable skills? And I know you've talked on in the past developing skills through small area games. So I'm curious to hear your uh, thoughts and opinions on one transferable skills, translatable skills, whatever you want to call them. Obviously I've, I've written on them and I know you read it and, and how do how do you develop that through some small area games? Are you, you coaching your kids up a little bit? <laughs> so it's actually funny. I love small area games. There are some limitations to it, but to me, if you have to ask me, and I've been asked this many, many times, what is the most important skill? To me, it's first two-step acceleration. Hockey is a game of shutting down space, closing down space, or creating separation. So those small area games gives you the ability to actually do that. You get the puck and you zoom. Or there's a player coming and you cut that space down. So when you get into the larger ice surfaces, obviously it changes the dynamic a bit. But the concept remains the same. It's about creating separation when you got the puck or closing down that space when you don't have the puck. And if you're able to do that in a smaller area and then you increase that area, but still have the ability um, to do that, to close down the space or to create separation, when you get into a bigger area now with a little bit more team structure because you can't just use individual skills on a bigger ice surface um, but if you still maintain those two elements first two steps acceleration is the most important way um, that you're going to get a lot of success in this league so it starts with those small area games whether they're young kids or professionals because you focus on the the, the two biggest elements that create um I don't know what word I'm looking for here. The most dynamic player. You have to be able to kind of fit into wherever you are on the ice. So small area games happen when you're in the offensive zone and they're caught in a small area. You should be able to maneuver out of it or use your first two steps acceleration. In the defensive zone, you're doing it in a bit of a different way, but the concept still maintains. So you start with those small areas and you expand them to larger ice surfaces. And in the end, what you're also doing is integrating more skills into that mentality. So while it starts in the small area, you could see how it just balloons once you get into the full ice surface. Just the, the sheer amount of puck touches you get in a small area is absolutely massive compared to the large area. Uh, one of my low-hanging fruits right now, I think, is the hockey warm-up. It's the same two or three warm-ups everywhere you go, and they all suck. Just, just think about it for two seconds. Just want, I want you to, this is, this is my can, listener, go figure it out moment here. Just go out your next warm up, whether it's your mini might three minutes or your full on team 20, when you're at the NHL, like just go and see how many decisions, just count decision-making. Like if you want to go beyond, you can talk on puck touches and all of that and stops and starts and yada, yada. But just, just like how many times do they have to make an actual decision? I'm Zero. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually a very good point because you can have a lot of teachable moments within those warmups um, that are just simply not there. Um, they could do a lot more. And this is kind of where it takes um, a very innovative coach to understand that you could do more in the smaller periods of time that you have. A warmup is a set period of time. You could do things there that can help your team and you could develop your players' individual skills. So you're right. I think that there's a lot more that could be taught there. Um, see, sometimes you have to also understand your limitations. I find that I can 
assess certain things very well. Um, but for me to say how to fix things, that is a bit more problematic. That's where a skills development coach really comes into uh, comes into play. And I use my golf swing as, as, as the example here. I could tell you what you're doing wrong with your golf swing. Very, very easy. You could easily spot that. But how do you fix what's going wrong? That takes a different mentality. So a scout or a talent evaluator can understand what a player is doing positively and negatively. And let's kind of go through like the warmups as you're saying. Um, and they can kind of go through each of those individual skills. But when you see a flaw, how do you fix that flaw? You need to be able to assess how to make those skills better. And that's kind of where guys like Jack Hahn um, um, and all, and the Daryl Belfries, that's where they understand where the game is, how they can break those game moments into smaller pieces. You could integrate those smaller pieces into your warm-up so that you're consistently working on those little elements of skill. And that's how you develop players in moments where they're just warming up, quote unquote. But it's not just a warm-up. It's a teachable moment. You can integrate a lot of those teachable moments um, in that small fixed period of time right before a game. Absolutely. And if you add it up, I bet that's at least minimum two practices a year that you're basically giving up by, by not making something of it. And that leads me to like, we're, we're trying to evolve, right? We're all trying to get better at this. Um, I know a lot of people got into coaching saying that they can do it better than the coach before them. So I'm curious <laughs> from a hockey analyst perspective that you are right now, you know, what are some ways that, um, you think the game can evolve further and innovate further? Like what, what are some of the next things? Well, I think that we've kind of taken the element of speed. Um, to, so for this is a bit of a tougher concept, but I'm going to try to explain it through here. I think that from, let's say 2010 to like maybe about a handful of years ago, we really looked at speed being the most dominant factor um, for a player. And I don't really think that that's ever really been true. I use Dimitri Yaskin as an, uh, um, an example here. Here's a player that doesn't have a lot of foot speed, but man, if you put him on the outside and you make him understand where he is on the ice, he's an intelligent and creative playmaker. So a player that may not necessarily have the foot speed or the speed to play at the NHL game, but does have the ability to create from a specific part of the ice, you can kind of integrate that into your overall vision. If a coach has a bunch of players that may not necessarily be as quick as they expect them to be, you could formulate strategy and structure around those players to make sure that they're having positive impacts with every puck touch, every part of the ice, um, spacing and making sure that you have proper coverage, um, understanding where you are relative to the puck, relative to the man you should be covering, relative to the zone that you're in. There are lots of interpersonal play um, while a player is on the ice, that isn't necessarily taken into consideration just by strict skills evaluation. So speed, I thought, was a little overrated from uh, from the get-go. Now we're starting to see teams that are generating offense by group, so they're not necessarily using a speed element. Nobody's you know flying out of the zone and trying to get a breakaway all the time. Players are all kind of rounding out and trying to break out together. So the speed element that I felt was a little overrated is now starting to come uh, a little bit more in vogue. It's more about structure and where you fit within there um, rather than just being a speedy dynamo and just getting up and down the ice. So... In the end, what we're kind of seeing here, 
um, is innovation like uh, the the five on four play, uh, the neutral zone slingshot, where you have teams that are trying to um, drag the puck back and they're all kind of moving up into a zone entry. So you're taking away some of that speed, but you're creating more by being able to integrate a more team level view. I hate that slingshot play. I hate the drop pass in the neutral zone, but you have to understand, and, and, and that was part of my own flaws. Um, you have to understand that there's a positive about it. And once you're able to understand how that kind of affects what players are doing on the ice, you have to appreciate the tactic a little bit more. I still wouldn't kind of promote it as being one of my most favorite, but I understand where it, where it stands now. Um, so, it, it the game changes so much your your views change as the game changes as well um and that constant integration of new ideas into an already uh rock hard uh, sound sound mind and 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 this is what i think and it can't be that way you have to be pliant and you have to be able to 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 integrate new ideas which may at some point in time turn your foundations completely around that happened to me about 10 years ago um, and I think it was probably the best thing that ever happened, best thing that ever happened to me. It changed my entire viewpoint of what actually is fundamentally positive uh, from a player and a team perspective. And then just how those two things integrate within each other. Um, there's a lot of specifics that we could talk about here, but I don't really want to get into that kind of a detail uh, just because we don't have enough time and it can, it, it can be kind of boring at, at, at some points, maybe not for you and I, but maybe for some others. Um, so I think in the end, what you need to do is understand that, that there's so much more um, to just basic skills and the integration of skills um, and then the integration of those skills within the structure of a team um, and then the ideas that evolve out of that structure. You have coaches that are just brilliant and they understand where they are um, and they can assess a player's flaws much better than I can. They can assess a team's flaws much better than I can. Um, and part of being a good talent evaluator is understanding that there is more to what you're doing and how you're evaluating your talent. Um, and you can integrate more new ideas as the game changes. And you at some point in time start to understand, okay, the game is moving in this direction. How does my talent evaluation follow that movement of the game? At some point in time, you'll find yourself that you're ahead of the curve um, and you're starting to evaluate players in a much different fashion than the contemporary analysts are doing right now. Speed is the one example that I use a lot. Speed was overrated 10 years ago, um, but it was just everybody had to be fast. You have to play the game fast. Playing the game fast is about understanding where you are within uh, range of the puck, moving quick, um, being able to assess quick. So a fast thinker is better than a fast skater. You give me a smart player and they become a much more integrated part of my uh, my strategy than just a single, like, really, really fast player. So there, there's – it's important to understand that sometimes you do have your own limitations um, and you're able to kind of build on some of the positive attributes that you're getting from new ideas that are constantly being dropped among us here. That was awesome. Um Man, I really like how we're talking about like player valuation, how things all interlock. Um, let's just let's take it back to say we have a ten-year-old or anywhere anyone between maybe age ten to age eighteen, or maybe someone who's starting to get into the game a little more in depth. 
what are some ways that they can more effectively and efficiently study the game to better understand it, whether that be to better play it or better evaluate talent within the game? Because I think that's something that we've been talking about is like all this evaluation. But say someone wants to follow in Coach Revac or, you know, the Cats footsteps, you know, what, how do they need to even study this game? How do they need to watch it? So I think the first thing that we need to do is establish the base. So establish your four S's, speed, smart, skating. Um, again, I keep forgetting that last S, which is kind of showing my age. I got you here. Ready? I got it. All right, here we go. It's going to be skating, smarts, speed, and skills. There we go. So gotcha. each one of those, see, sometimes we need a little bit of support, and that's exactly what a star or a plugger needs to have. You need to be able to have support from your teammates and your coaches and your parents and all the people that want to make you successful. Sometimes you are going to have these brain farts that I just kind of had, and you do need to have some support. So let's go back to the original question. If you're a 10 year old, you're probably just watching players and trying to emulate them. If you're a star center, you're probably watching a lot of star centers. If you're a star center, I'd start watching a lot more defensemen. If you're a star defenseman, I'd start watching a lot more star forwards because in today's game, uh, positional hockey is so fluid that you need to be able to adapt to whatever situation is on the ice. If your defenseman takes off and you need to cover, you need to be able to play that position. So there are elements within each specific position that focuses on a different type of skill set. So you may not be a player that has 99s in all the EA sports categories. You might be 80s in it, but you're going to be a so much better player whenever you're on the ice because you can adapt to any situation. And that becomes more of a, um, uh, it becomes more ingrained in you. It's less about evaluation and, and making decisions on the ice. It's almost becoming, um, it, 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 you react because your body has adjusted to understanding what skills are required for the position that you're playing at that particular time. So 10-year-old centers that are expecting to score 50 million goals, they probably could do that. But if they need to cover up for their defensemen, they need to be able to do that too. That is going to make them a much better player overall. So they should be able to measure their success. That's where analytics comes into play. I don't expect a 10-year-old to be able to do complex math or anything like that. Um, but Analytics, not necessarily complex math. It's a measurement of something that you're trying to measure. Whatever that element is, integrate that ability to measure that. Over the course of years, you'll find that measuring your success and measuring your failures will lead to a better player overall as they develop their skill sets. And again, you have support from your parents, coaches, Really good coaches will understand and, and help out players that way. Um, skills development coaches above and beyond, skating coaches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Being able to measure where you are and how you can kind of get to that next level becomes more important if you understand what your role is on the ice. So I think that at the end of the day, players should be uh, watching and understanding more of, of how star players are performing based on on just individual moments within a game. How would you deal with having a rush on the ice? How would you deal with playing a two-on-one? Two-on-ones are actually kind of fascinating. Back in the day, it was just a matter of taking away that pass. Now you have a defender that's a lot more aggressive. So they'll 
approach the puck carrier more so than the, the, the player that can get the pass. Because if you shut down that space, they can't create anything. So that little idea integrated into a defenseman at 10 years old is going to make him a much better defenseman. Integrating that little idea into a forward will put him in or her into a much better situation when they're found that, you know, okay, everybody's up ice and now all of a sudden I'm the last man back. So I have to be able to play a two-on-one. So conceptually, you can start to ingrain some of these ideas at a younger age, add elements to be able to measure uh, progression and success. And then in the end, you'll start to get a lot, lot better players at the age of 14, 15, and 16, where skills are almost starting to become a lot more relative amongst a group of players. And that's where coaching and systems and structure starts to come into play. And if the player understands where he's supposed to be in a specific situation on the ice, not positional, but just a specific situation, um, that's what's going to bring them overall success. It's also going to bring them a lot more team success. You get a lot of team success and it really pumps up your, 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 you're wanting to become a better player. So it's kind of, it just builds on that foundation. And, and you could really start to integrate a lot of these more, what we call advanced ideas in 10 year olds, because kids are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And as long as you put a structured plan into place and they're able to um, follow that plan and understand why they're doing it, I think in the end, what you're going to get are phenomenal players in that 14 to 16 age bracket that develop even faster when they're put into positions in junior hockey and then getting even better when they're starting to get into the pro leagues and they have much more developmental coaches, uh, the ability to focus specifically on hockey, 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 hockey all the time. Um, but it starts with laying that foundation when they're young kids. I can honestly say I've never seen someone say in other words, how passionate they are about the hockey IQ newsletter than you just did right there. <laughs> Clearly you were like, we need to take all these ideas in the newsletter and podcast and put them in 10 and 11 year olds. <laughs> uh, That's why it's I, called IQ. IQ is so important that, that you no know, smarts are, are the most important skill. Anybody can tell you that skating, shooting and all of that. You give me a smart player and you can mold them into a phenomenal hockey player. They'll figure it out. And that's one thing I've, I've found is there's a lot of people that maybe didn't have the talent to make it, but they figured out a way to make themselves valuable or they figured out a way to add a skill to a level that makes them invaluable to the situation, a team, whatever it may be. And the more I watch and the more I'm an analyst, not a scout and evaluating talent. And it's like, how do I look for adaptability? Like someone is just going to figure it out. Like, I feel like that is, is the all arching goal because we can see very plainly and everyone can see very plainly a lot of these skills, but for example, the NHL, like you're drafting at age 17, 18, you don't know what you're going to be getting in five years. You know, there's the personal growth the maturity, the X, Y, and Z, and just maybe someone needs to be able to be smart enough to figure out a role, figure out a way like, for example, like a Peter Harold, maybe wasn't the best player ever, but he always figured it out, a way out to be valuable and turned it into a long, long playing career. And now he's player development with the, the Canes for that exact reason. He's a smart guy who can figure it out. And you put players again, it's, it's a matter of challenging players and putting them into situations where they're learning a lot more about themselves. Um, it, it, there's, there's way too much information out there right now that, that, 
it can be a bit of an overload. But again, each player understands where they are in their own development. Um, and that support, again, comes into play. Um, Peter Harrell is an interesting example, too. But there are others that you can kind of go all the way through. Rob DeMaio was another one as well. I remember talking to him and saying things like, um, being a successful hockey player doesn't make you a successful talent evaluator. Being a successful talent evaluator doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good coach. So there are limitations to what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. Once you start bringing in those ideas um, and you expand a little bit more and more and more, it's not a, an overnight item. It, you have to consistently blow up that balloon to make sure that you can get a lot of air and make sure that you're not really popping it either, right? There's a point where you're just too much information just becomes overload and it, you, you you just, there's no starting and there's no end point. You just kind of lost in data, lost in information. Um, being able to understand where you are in today's game um, and whether or not what you are in today's game really fits the future of today's game um, is more important than being able to be the best player that you can kind of be at this point in time. I know that that doesn't really sound right, but it, it but it's true because you have players that integrate their skills and as skills incline they also decline what are you going to do as a hockey player when your skills start to decline you need to be able to have a much greater structure um, within um, how you play um, and being able to integrate yourself into the vision of somebody else because in the end your skills are great and all of that but you're playing for somebody else that's actually demanding you do certain things in a structural way because it's a team game and you're trying to get everybody else um, to win overall um, you have to be able to understand that at some point in time your skills are going to deteriorate what are you doing to make sure that you still have some kind of a serviceable quality to yourself um, players that slow down that they're not able to score at the same kind of pace can't look at Ovechkin because he's a bit of an anomaly um, but now what you're doing is becoming a bit more of a playmaker you're starting to understand where you are on the ice the game changes and it becomes quicker but then all of a sudden it doesn't become quicker because players are now starting to um, move more as a five-man unit having that vision that foresight to be able to say that my skills today are great but my skills of tomorrow are still not there um, creates a gap that every player tries to close and it's just a matter of where they are in their development a 10-year-old will understand that there's a big gap a 14-year-old that gap might be smaller but there is still a gap when you're in a pro leagues and, and you're 26 27 and you're hitting your peak and you're performing well, and yeah, you're a star, and everything's great. But then in two years, all of a sudden, you know, my body doesn't react the same way that it does. Um, the the game has changed a lot uh, within the last couple of years. Now I have to start to adapt too. So skills change as the game changes and the mentality changes as your body starts to decline and i'm 50 now so i understand all about a declining body um, you have to be able to do certain things i can't bend over and pick up a ball anymore i have to be a lot more careful and have to bend my knees etc etc players are adaptable that way and players are adaptable a lot more i think in today's uh, environment than they ever were. Back in the day, it was a matter of, I told you to do this, you didn't do this, you're sitting in the press box. Now you have players and coaches that are talking to each other and, and formulating plans together rather than you're having one dictatorial type of, of situation where the coach is saying, we're going to play this style, this is the type of, of, of 
of assessment that I expect out of you. Um, and I expect you to perform as well as you possibly can every single game. You get player teams now that are starting to um, tell players about what their strategy, trying to understand where they are and, uh, and integrate structure a lot more fluid um, than they ever have in the past. And I think players are understanding where they are a lot more than what they ever did. Um, it, it, it's a really difficult thing to point to put down, um, but players do need to understand that there's a future above and beyond whatever they're learning and performing to at the current moment. And, and that's the key point is like, you're always, whether you're player or coach, striving for preparing for the next level, you know, and this year we need to be preparing for the next level. So that, that's a very interesting point. Kind of going to that with the evolution of play styles and possession being the king uh, currently, you know, dumps historically are at some of their lowest points ever, um, especially understanding that you can get twice as many shots off a carry into the zone versus a dump. You know, how do you see that playing out? And are we seeing dumps maybe go on the rise again as people continue to evolve and adapt and play that cat and mouse game? Because that was the first big thing that came out of analytics and, and Tulski, who runs the, the Hurricanes now. That was the, the thing that really shot him into fame was – I think it was Zach Parise came out and then literally was like, yeah, I'm going to dump the puck almost none this year because I read this paper and it shows analytically that, Hey, if I carry it into the zone, I'm twice as likely to score and get a shot versus if I dump it in and it's actually not as dangerous on the flip side either. So why would I ever dump it in? But now the tactics have definitely changed. I love that you actually brought that up because that was, I think, one of those defining moments where, where we talked about quote-unquote possession. So I think that that was an idea that really went to an extreme. It went from sometimes dumping the puck in to never dump the puck in. And I don't think that that's right because if you dump a puck into a corner and you skate to get it, have you really lost possession? Um, some of that actually has a strategic input to it as well. If I'm dumping the puck into the corner, that means the defenseman that's defending me skating backwards has to pivot. That pivot allows me to expand my speed um, or to try to get past them without having to make any type of really quick body movements. So that in itself um, changes the idea from never dump the puck in to sometimes dump the puck in when it's strategically viable. And coaches that were smart enough to understand, you know, this paper is right, but it's not a matter of never do this. It's a matter of strategically doing it and to try to dominate your play by retaining possession, crossing the blue line. You always want to do that for the, the, uh, for the items that you just mentioned. It, it's a better chance of getting a shot, better chance of a shot attempt, et cetera, et cetera. Um, moving from one end of the ice to the other with a Royal road pass, which changes the dynamic of everything in the offensive zone. Um, but a dump in is not a bad play. If you're turning the defenseman, focusing the, 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 the play in one specific corner, now everybody that's skating into that corner has to be more aware of what's happening behind them. So if I get into the corner and all of a sudden I get a better look and everybody's skating towards me, now you're finding trailers a lot better. So it's a matter of integrating those ideas. And that's why I said integrating ideas that have come out of analytics into player development, coaching development, structure making better systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was a great example because I think that that was a game changer. Right off the bat, it changed 
everybody's opinion about how bad a dump in is. But coaches, good coaches, already knew that. They just needed a reason to be able to integrate carrying the puck in a lot more without fully ruining or removing, I should say, um, the ability to dump a puck in because there's a strategical advantage to it. That was actually one of the ideas that I kind of wrestled with a lot with uh, um, a bunch of analytics folks. It's not a bad idea to dump the puck in if you can do it where it's still a progressive play. And trying to, to figure out that dynamic was a little bit tough. I think that there's a great mix of that in today's NHL. I think that there's a lot of players that are able to play a possession-style game while still dumping pucks into the corner and integrating new ideas of, of being able to um, um, just progress the play to create a shot or a shot attempt to score a goal. That's the end result of what we're trying to accomplish. It's a matter of integrating all those little ideas into one um, mind-blowing um, a paper that Tulski kind of brought that changed the entire dynamic of the game. Now it's a matter of finding people that are above and beyond just reading it and saying, don't do this. It's about integrating more ideas into your already pre-existing notions and trying to make your ideas and performance that much better. So that was the best example that I ever saw of an idea catching wildfire and everybody kind of agreeing with it. But good, smart coaches understood that, yeah, 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 that's fine. But we can do things better by, and then they can just start integrating that into their structure. I use the word structure a lot because systems are kind of stagnant. Um, structure and flow and fluidity within a structure is more important than any particular structure itself. Um, and, and that's kind of where we are here. Yeah, I mean, that was the, the one. I think I'm not sure there's ever going to be anything like that again, but that was, I think, summer of 2013 going into the 2014 season. And it was just like absolute game changer. And if you knew anything about it, like you you could see the dominoes fall. It was amazing. And I, I think it's interesting how it actually falls into development because you've got players, and we had Marty St. Louis on, and he was a perfect example. Like, he doesn't let his children that he coaches dump the puck. Like, doesn't care. You can make a turnover, turn back, go the other direction to go back. You're just not allowed to dump it and forcing those habits at an early age where now maybe professional or juniors or whatever, you, you are dumping the puck, but you have the ability and the skills to actually possess, which is the more valuable thing and playing for a development style versus a win now style and how those all evolve together is, is definitely a discussion for another day sir. And we'll have to have you back on for that one. You know, dude, it, it, we could probably go on here for hours and hours and hours. I'm just going to go back to what I said at the beginning. It's an honor to be included here. I appreciate the invitation. Um, if there's, if there's one thing that I love talking about all day, it's hockey and it, it could just grow into this big, huge monster. One thing I did want to uh, want to end on though, um, the fact that you're teaching kids to not dump the puck in is good because at the time, it's a matter of decision-making. So when you have to do it because it's strategically viable in that win-now mode, um, you can assess the situation much better as to whether or not you want to dump or you're able to use your skills, your integrated skills, to your advantage to put the other team on their heels. They expect you to dump because they're structured in a way to force that, but you're able to kind of break through that. There's a lot of, 
of mental gymnastics that kind of go on in those situations. You start integrating those little ideas into kids early on, their mental capacity is going to become so much better at times when they are in a situation to win now. And that's the most important part of development. Yep. It's not always about what the NHL is doing. We should do with our kids. It's how do we properly do it for where they are in the development stage. And I agree with you. We need to put more of these concepts in their minds at younger ages um, because they're much smarter than we ever give them credit for. But Gus, thank you so much for coming on. This was an absolute treat uh, and we'll definitely have you on in the future. I'm I'm currently looking for someone to uh, interview me for the podcast. Maybe you'll be the perfect guy. I'd love to do that. If the roles ever change, you let me know and I'll gladly do it because I think that you have a dynamic insight as well. And somebody should have you on a format like this to pick your brain. All right. Well, since you've you've, uh, already given shout outs to the Hockey IQ newsletter, you're saying roles are first. You know, I'm going to make you my agent and we'll get some podcast book around (laughs) the guest this time. (laughs) Sounds Uh, great. (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. So before we let you go, though, we'd like to remind you to please like our podcast, subscribe to it, give us a follow uh, and share this with all the hockey people in your life. We really appreciate uh, growing this community, this podcast. Um, Remember, we also have a newsletter, the Hockey IQ newsletter as well. Really excited to continue to grow this. So Please help us grow this further by liking, subscribing, following, and sharing uh, with everyone. So appreciate you all. Take care. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you, Buttes, here next week for a brand new episode.